You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Yes, my family is away in that great state, that great land of Kansas, Sunflower State, and uh, also becoming the great state of Texas, so the home away from home for a lot of our people now, but, uh, or a few of them anyway. So. But they're away, but I get to be here with you, and we get to spend time in God's Word together, and that's what we want to do. I want you to turn to Romans 11 once again. On your way there, Romans 11.25, if you would. On your way there, I've got two pictures to make up. Last week, Emily Barron is here this week. I, I did not have this up here last week. I mentioned her name, but somehow I missed it, didn't get in. Anyway, this is from out at the, uh, where was this? was out at the lake, wasn't it? Yeah, where we talked about, yeah. <laughs> your family's gone, you just start forgetting things. So this was a long time ago, two weeks. So uh, out the lake, Baal versus God. We we're looking at first uh, Kings 18 and Elijah. Thank you, Emily, for that picture. And then the next one comes from Landon Matheson. I don't think they're here. They were visiting last week. Uh, Landon, I believe we got his name right. Uh, drew this last week as we were back in Romans 11, talking about that olive tree and talking about branches, the one tree, the root, uh, the nourishing root, and then the Gentiles being grafted in. Don't become proud, but fear. And Landon got that. Now, he's got a part here in the bedroom. I'm not sure if he's, maybe that's an encouragement to read the Bible. I'm not sure what, what Landon was thinking in there. But he's got that up there, and I appreciate it. And appreciate you kids that are here today drawing. As images pop up through what I'm saying, you might, oh, there's a picture idea. Something to draw for your beginning of taking notes through a sermon. And that's why we're glad you're part of this and you're here to be part of this worship time and part of this time in God's Word. I want to start at verse 25. We're just going to look at through verse 27, but it's so short, I'm just going to read to the end of the chapter, and then I'll explain more. So let's listen to God's Word here, starting in Romans 11, verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or irrevocable, you could read. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
Let's pray before we look into God's Word. Lord, as we come again to your, it is your gracious Word to us, pages and pages and pages full of your grace to us. Lead us in the three verses before us today. Guide us in our understanding. Give us a a great vision, a grand vision for you, for your sovereign plan, for your ways that are mysterious, that we don't understand all of them. And yet you reveal yourself in your word as God alone, the God, worthy of all our praise. Help us to see you in this passage. Help us to see Christ. Help us to see areas where we need to grow and we need to be challenged and convicted in heart where, where pride maybe grows once again. So guide us, Lord, as we look into your passage by your spirit. Open our eyes. Help us to see what we need to see from your true word here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are this close to the end of chapter 11. Not the end of the book of Romans yet, but this close to the end of chapter 11. And today, though, I'm starting kind of just a series of three sermons to close out this series through chapters 9, 10, and 11. You might say, three sermons, Mike, just to get to the end of the chapter. You know, maybe we're antsy. Let's move up another chapter, that sort of thing. I think there's good reason to, to just sl- slowly walk through some of these things that are here. And I think there's three, even as we divide it up into three portions here, three aspects of Paul, this mystery that Paul's referring to. He's talking about a mystery here, and so we want to look at these. We're going to deal with the first one today in that there is a future for the people of Israel. That though it be mysterious and seem maybe unlikely, God, in his way, he's going to lead them, and seems a majority of them, to salvation in Christ. So Christ will save Israel, for he is their deliverer. All right, we're going to look at that today, and then in the following two weeks, we're going to see God will save his elect. God's going to save his elect because his calling and saving are sure. And lastly, then, we'll look at... In uh, three weeks here, in all this, all this, the glory where? It is the Lord's. In all this, God gets the glory. So as we come, let's come into our text. We come to verse 25. Seems that Paul kind of continues on now from his discussion. He's been talking about branches, grafting the root of this cultivated olive tree. And we come to verse 25, where he says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers, A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There's the word here. You see it. The word mystery. In the Greek, it's the word mysterion, which kind of sounds like mystery, doesn't it? It's probably where we get mystery from. And it's this mysterion, this mystery that Paul is after for who? For the Gentiles to understand. He wants them to understand a mystery. The language here is that they, they not be ignorant. He wants them to know something, and he wants them to know this mystery. But it's not a mystery like a crime mystery, like a Sherlock Holmes, and it isn't something, a mystery that only Paul wants only just a secret group to know. He wants the Gentiles, and, he, and the mystery here is even Paul further explaining that God is sovereign in his plan. He's explaining this mystery as the sovereign plan of God. 
whether Paul has had some sort of divine revelation or simply I think rather, and I've seen this in just some of my study, that God's, God's guiding Paul through his understanding even of the Old Testament, Paul is going to pull back a curtain, so to speak, this mystery. So the curtain gets pulled back, and it's revealing what God's plan is here. Specifically, God's plan for Israel that will affect the Gentiles as well. Mystery is part of what makes a magician and what they do. It makes them fun to watch. The mystery is how he can hold the handkerchief, and then all of a sudden, there's a bird in his hand. It's, it's a mystery to us, but you love some of those videos or those places where they go, well, this is actually how it, this is what's going on kind of behind the scenes. God, I'm not saying God's a magician. He's not. He's over everything. He's powerful. He doesn't work magic. He works his wonders. <laughs> But his work is often, it's not revealed or known to us in its entirety. We don't know everything. But here, there's mystery that Paul wants to make known. At least so we can, we can try. As I read through this, you might say, as we can try to understand. And again, in this text, then, this mystery is tied to the salvation of Israel. And the question here is, how is it that a people group, Israel, that seems so against God, they're against his son, Jesus Christ, how is it that they can yet be grafted in or be saved? Doug Moo helpfully writes on this mystery and writes in terms of kind of what may have been the standard Jewish thought in the time. He says this, some Old Testament and Jewish texts predict that Gentiles will join the worship of the Lord in the last day. And some of them suggest that it is the Lord's glory revealed in a rejuvenated and regathered Israel that will stimulate the Gentiles' interest. You hear that? That it's, it's Israel, it's regathered Israel, and that's going to make the Gentiles want, you know, have, have interest in salvation. Moo writes this, But holy novel... As altogether new, really, was the idea that the inauguration of the, the eschatological age, it just means kind of the, the last days, the last times, that that would involve setting aside the majority of Jews while Gentiles streamed in to enjoy the blessings of salvation, and that only when that stream had been exhausted would Israel as a whole experience these blessings. If that's true, Paul is flipping the common understanding of the day. That it's the, it's the Jewish people, it's theirs, and then Gentiles come in. Paul's kind of flipping that around to say, look at what the fullness of the Gentiles is doing, and then Israel will come in. And yet God is at work in Israel, even when it seems he shouldn't be. Before we look more at this mystery then, notice though there's a purpose. What is Paul about? Why is he explaining a mystery? Just for us to go, well, got that down, which, as you're going to see, is, is a little, it's a little challenging to get it all down. Uh, what's his point? It's, it comes first in the ESV, the first clause here. In the NASB, if you got that, or NIV, it's going to follow the words, so that. What is Paul's purpose? What is it? Why is Paul wanting to explain this mystery? It's pride. It's it's this, lest you be wise in your own sight. It's the theme of last week, and it ties in this week, I think, as well. Paul doesn't want the Gentiles to consider themselves wise 
in their own sight. Paul's not saying don't be wise. Be wise, but be not wise in your own estimation, your own eyes. A couple of texts that help us understand this phrase, be lest you be. In other words, do not be. I don't want you to be wise in your own sight. Proverbs 3. It's going to start off very familiar, and then it'll get to this. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Many of you could finish this. Trust in the Lord. I'll just read it slow because it's so good. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. That's good news. Verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, who? The Lord. And he will make straight your paths. And then verse 7 comes right after this. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Even in the next chapter, if you just turn the page to chapter 12 of Romans, we'll see this. We'll get there in verse 16, chapter 12, verse 16. Paul essentially says the same thing. Verse 16 of chapter 12 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be, here it is, wise in your own sight. It's this relation to pride. It seems to imply a, a certain wisdom, a certain knowing things apart from God. Here, perhaps, there's an assumption in our text, at least, maybe about the way things are. And what is so dangerous about assumptions that based on limited information, we make very firm conclusions. When we assume things, we base it on limited information, then we make some firm conclusions on that. Paul envisions, perhaps it's the Gentiles in this church at Rome where he's writing to. They've got Israel all figured out. They know what's going to happen. They're wise in their own. Israel, they're just lost people. They've, They've rejected the Messiah, so they're rejected, all of them. They've had their chance. Now it's gone. But God's plan and God's mystery, it's different. There is a remnant. We've already seen this. So in some ways, this is kind of a, even a summary almost of the whole chapter of 11 and maybe even 9 through 11. There's a remnant chosen by grace. God has a plan even for unbelieving now Israel. And what a danger pride is to the church here in Rome, to our own church, to our own lives. I mean, what five-letter word, what pride can ooze into a marriage, ooze into our parenting, to our work, to our gathering together? What five-letter word can damage like pride does in our heart? And how often are we prone to be wise in our own eyes? I know best. I, I can reason it the best. I even know, I think... I, Pretty sure I know what God is doing in this situation. Paul seems here to be after humility on the part of the Gentiles. It's good to keep that big picture in mind. Come back to that in a little while. Okay, now that's the first part of verse 25. The second part now deals with this two, two factors here, the, the partial hardening of Israel and then this fullness of the Gentiles. One commentator writes here about this mystery that it describes God's three-step plan for the restoration of Israel. That, that 
Paul says, I want you to understand this mystery. And then he goes on, this commentator, and I think he's, I think he's right. I think I see this. You see the kind of this three-step plan for Israel's restoration. Number one, there's partial hardening in Israel. Number two, there's this fullness of the Gentiles. And number three, all Israel will be saved. Again, part of this mystery is God's grace to a people so against him, so rejecting him. It's been the story of the Old Testament. It's the story of when God sent his son. And yet, here is God's plan. And so we want to attempt to understand the mystery. First is this partial hardening that's come upon Israel. Like I said, I think the whole chapter 11 serves a bit as a kind of a commentary, maybe a key to help us even understand where we're at. If you just glance back at verse 7, Paul's already said that there is, there is a hardening going on. He says they're the rest, uh, the rest, that is the non-elect. They were hardened. And so I think this partial hardening, the partial here is that there are, there are some of Israel now that is in the time of Paul's writing There's some who are saved. There's this remnant chosen by grace, and yet some others are hardened. And we look at verses 11 through 15 that show us that even through Israel's unbelief, their trespass, even through that, salvation is coming to the Gentiles, which is step number two. So there's this partial hardening going on. Then there's this fullness of the Gentiles coming in. That is that God is doing a work among the Gentiles. It's a work of salvation while Israel is in part hardened. In large part broken off, you could say, from the olive tree. We actually see this idea of fullness even in verse 12 where you've got um, the, the failure of Israel means riches for the Gentiles. And then Paul says, how much more Israel's full inclusion. It's kind of the this, this same idea of the fullness of. And I don't, I don't understand it all. It's in fact, it's a mystery, but there's this partial hardening of Israel. It's in effect until this fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And that is, just to be clear, the fullness of God's elect among the ethnic people of the Gentiles. Not all, not all are saved. We don't teach a, a universal, I don't think the Bible, we see a universal salvation. But the fullness, this fullness of God's elect in the Gentiles is coming in. And that seems to signal, time-wise, the end of the the partial hardening of Israel. Okay, I don't know if the mystery is being helped here by by this, but hang on. Because at this point, now we've inched closer to probably what's the most debated phrase, and that's the first part of verse 26, where it says, And in this way all Israel will be saved. There is... Surprise, surprise, more than one way that commentators will look at this and interpret what this phrase means here and how, how this idea of mystery goes along. M- let me say this, though. Most all, at least that I saw, would agree that what it doesn't mean, so in this way all Israel will, sa- will be saved, I don't think the word all here means in the sense of every single one, every Jew at any time maybe even any time or through history, or will be saved. I think that's going to go against Paul's, his, his remnant language already in the chapter. He's already said at, at this point, there's a remnant. Some are hardened, some are elect. There's, there's this, not all. Or even if you go back to verse 6 of chapter 9, not all who are descended from Israel belong to 
Israel, that is, I think, Israel who is saved. The elect of God. Many are hardened. So not all are saved, but, but positively, though. So it doesn't mean all, every single one, but there's the word all here. How much? In what way? Positively, what does this mean? Granted, you may have, your own, you may have studied the things of, of Israel, God's plan. You might have your own view of what this means. I'm just going to suggest what makes, what I'm seeking to make the most sense from the text here, from what I read, try to study. Look back, if you look back verse 25, you've got this, kind of this backwards and forwards thing of this particular phrase, and in this way all Israel will be saved. Probably the, the hard part is when it says in, in this way. So, and we're, we're asking in what way? How is this? I think, it, I think it looks back to verse 25, and I think it looks forward to the rest of verse 26 and 27 that we've not studied yet. It looks back to, there's a partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles, and I think you could say then you've got Israel being saved, but then also there's, this, the, there's a deliverer that will come. That he will banish ungodliness and will take away sin. And so it, it's hard for me not to see really a, a large scale, a large scale grafting in or salvation of ethnic, that is the people in general of Israel, the Jew, on the whole, at a time in the future. It seems likely that to kind of finish that, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, a number known only to God, I think we could have the word, then all Israel will be saved. Some would not agree with that. I can see there's some uh, argument that says the the fullness of the Gentiles is kind of an accumulation over time, the fullness. We don't think of fullness as just, boom, there's a fullness of saved Gentiles. But there's a, there's a fullness over time, the saved of God's elect and Gentiles. And so wouldn't there be also over time the same thing with Israel? And that could be. But I think what you've got here, what's at least helpful is this future tense Paul's using, the future. It's in the context here, and that's what makes me lean towards seeing here a time of future significant salvation in Israel. John Murray writes this, kind of contrasting Israel's great trespass with then Israel's great salvation. He says, when the preceding verses are related to verse 26, the salvation of Israel must be conceived of on a scale that is commensurate with their trespass. They're lost, they're casting away, they're breaking off, and they're hardening. Commensurate, of course, in the opposite direction. He says, in a word, it is the salvation of the mass of Israel that the apostle affirms. And once again, no surprise to you, you've been following along as I'm preaching through a rather difficult section to hear me say, it's just not totally clear. I hold loosely even to what I've just said. And I'm pretty sure the debate will probably continue until the return of Jesus. Praise God, and then we will fully know. We will fully know. Fully know. So, though I'd hold loosely here to a, a future, this grand salvation for Israel, just want to make sure two things are clear here. So, I think, see this future event, talk more about the rest of the verse here. Two things, though, to be clear. Number one, is only the elect of Israel will be saved. A grand salvation, it is only the elect. All of Israel being saved, it retains this fact. They are the elect of God. We've got verse 2 
God's not rejected those whom he foreknew. Got that kind of election language. You've also got it coming right following this section that we'll look at next week, verses 28. As regards the gospel, they're enemies. I mean, look at them now. They're, they're enemies. But regards election, they're beloved. So we'll look at that next week. But anyone of ethnic Israel to be saved is saved because it's God's plan for them to be saved, for their salvation. And number two, they're saved only through Christ. God's plan to save Israel, ethnic or Gentiles, it's not, God's plan is not apart from his provision in Christ. So salvation for the Jew, it's not on account of their lineage or their ethnicity or their having the law. Yes, they're a unique people in the history and the future, I think we could say of God's plan, but salvation is only and it's ever through Jesus Christ, no matter where it is. And I think this connects us then to this last part of verse 26 and into verse 27. So Paul says, in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. This is kind of back it up in their salvation. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Paul here again, he's going back. Where does Paul go? He goes back to the Old Testament. A few different texts kind of mashed up a bit that are coming out. I want to show them to you on the screen. You've got the first one I believe we've got back there instead of turning to all these. See if you can't pick out. I'll read through them. If you can see it, hey, that's not too bad. If you can see it from there. Pick out here. Where, what is Paul drawing from? These are just a few, uh, some. I think there's one that I, I left out, maybe others. One, uh, Isaiah 59, 20 through 21, says this, and a redeemer, let me just pause here. So where were we in? The deliverer will come from Zion. What we just read, see, see if you see these ties back in the Old Testament. It says that a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. So we're hearing some similar language. Then it goes on. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I've put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We can go on to the next one. There's three of these. Number two, Psalm 14, verse 7. I think it's also maybe in Psalm 53. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion, Jerusalem. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. And then one more, and that is from Jeremiah 31. Though commentators would point out Isaiah 27, 9. That's another place. But Jeremiah 31 through 34 here. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, 
Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thank you. That's just a sampling of these places where Paul is drawing from. At Christmas time, we're not in July yet, it's not Christmas in July. At Christmas time, we have this month, this month of Advent. We've been celebrating Advent here, this time of anticipating. It's you, normally, we think of anticipating the time of Christ coming to earth, born to the Virgin Mary, living a sinless life, being crucified on the cross, buried, rose again, ascended to the Father. We think of this first advent of Christ. But within that advent time, I think we've mentioned it before, it also helps us look forward to another advent, another coming. And that is Christ's second advent. And so within this little package of Old Testament verses, the question here is, which of those advents, which of the coming of Christ is Paul referring to? Certainly, clearly, the deliverer is Christ. It is Christ. But is this his first coming? Is, is this Israel kind of, because in, in Jeremiah's day or, uh, or Isaiah, it looked forward, the deliverer will come. Is it in that, kind of that first coming or the second one? And I can't rule out Christ's first coming here. Why? Because Christ's first coming is the basis, it's the foundation for the salvation of Israel. The ground upon which their sins can be taken away is through Christ's first coming. It's by his blood. And so we don't want to depart from that and say, well, there's just the second coming. But the future tense here tends to aim at Christ's second coming, a time only known to God, but that time when the fullness of Gentiles will have come in, it would seem. Can it refer to, to both? I think prophecy oftentimes refers to near and far fulfillments. But there is, there is only one sacrifice for sins. That is, Jesus died upon the cross. He bore the wrath of God that all, to look, all who look to him by faith, they receive this forgiveness of sins. But it's this truth. It's upon this ground that Israel will be saved in the future. When? When the work of Jesus is realized in the heart of ethnic Israel on a large scale. There's three main terms here to note before we leave this little section. Number one, there's a deliverer. We saw that already. There's a redeemer. I think Isaiah's language puts it. He will come. Jesus has come. He will come again. Deliverance and redemption is God. What? It's God coming to Israel and to us. The deliverer will come. He comes. Number two, there's repentance. You see it here. The ESV has, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Or it could be translated, he will turn. He will cause a change in belief or behavior. This is repentance. Paul's emphasis here, the deliverer is going to do this work. He's going to turn the hearts, and the hearts will turn. And they return, repent, and turn to this deliverer out of ungodliness to a godliness in Christ. And then number three, there's God's covenant. This will be my covenant with them. And it's a covenant that takes away sin. And, and I think this has ties. Others would see different things, but I think it has ties to the new covenant, this covenant 
Jesus. We celebrate communion, this new covenant where Jesus says it's in my blood. No one, Jew or Gentile, is saved apart from God's sovereign deliverance from sin. It says His Spirit gives us this new birth. It's a new birth unto repentance and faith in Christ who gave His life that all, whether Jew or Gentile, all who look to Him are saved. As we close here, and I hear the rain on the roof. It's raining out. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. As we close, I realize this section may bring up more questions. Perhaps Paul's explaining of a mystery works to develop four other mysteries in your mind as you seek to understand. Keep searching. Keep. This is God's word. We don't say, well, mystery, I don't close. I don't understand. Whatever. Seek to understand. There is joy. There is joy in the wrestling. I've said that before. Try to look at context. Commentators, they're helpful, but understand what is God's word. Use his word. I think chapter 11 on the whole is helpful towards this if your mind's spinning right now. But I want to try to kind of step back and just give, again, three kind of brief, at least clear things we can gather from this section. So step back, at least some clear things. Number one, I think clearly, do not count out ethnic Israel or the Jews. God hasn't. Don't count them out as a forever, forever lost people. He's just, he's moved on from them. I have yet to have all my eschatology, that means just all the ideas of the last times and, and all those sorts of things. I've got, got, I've yet to have them all figured out other than Christ will return in his glory for his own and he will judge the world in its sin. And yet, how does all this fit together? It's mysterious. Though I don't want to have you hear me say it's not worth it. Again, it's God's word. But regardless of timing here, again, clearly God's not done with Israel. We can pray for them. We can seek that they, like any other sinner, would come to Christ. That they would, in fact, know the deliverer. They would know this grace. And Number two, so don't count out ethnic Israel. Number two, keep in mind, what's Paul wanting? What's he wanting from the Gentiles reading this very passage here. What does he want in the first place? Is that we not be wise in our own eyes. God is doing, he's doing a sovereign work in a million different ways, including this passage. How is he? He's partially hardening Israel. He's bringing in the fullness of Gentiles. And then within this seems to be all Israel will be saved. It's all part of God's plan. And it's all part of God's mercy. So again, to borrow from last week, don't be proud. For those in Christ, God has been gracious to you. And God has others in the target of his grace. Others, in fact, that may, verse 28, may look like enemies at the present time. Can you believe that? Even just to apply that to enemies you see around us, enemies, maybe neighborhood, or at work, or wherever, can he save? Yes, his arm is not too short. He can do whatever God wants to do. Don't underestimate the hand of God to save all of whom he will. And then number three, clearly, just for you personally, just by way of application for you, do you know the deliverer? 
Do you know this one called the Deliverer? This one from Zion, coming out of Zion. Have you been delivered? Have you been redeemed? You, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Has God worked in your heart that you've turned from sin to the Savior? Have your sins been taken away? This promise from Romans, we find, is not for Israel alone. Romans 10, verses 12 and 13 say, for, remember, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is not done with Israel. And if you're breathing today here, sounds like all of you are, you're hearing of this gospel today, nor is he done offering the same hope for all who would repent of sin and believe in him. I encourage you, call out to the Lord. Call out for salvation of this one called the Deliverer. Let's pray. Father, your ways are inscrutable. We've been seeing that throughout. And yet your plan is firm. Firm to the end and firm into eternity. Lord, for the places where we begin to be conceited, where we become wise in our eyes, to assume we know all of your plan, we know all of what you are doing. Maybe it's a trial or a certain situation. Maybe we know why the rain's coming even. Lord, it's by your grace. It's by your grace. So Lord, help us to trust in your plan. Lord, we pray for the people of Israel today. Lord, thankful for a a democratic type of nation in the area of the Middle East. But Lord, their greatest need is not land. It's a Savior. It's Jesus. Their greatest need is you. Lord, would you open their eyes? Lord, I I don't know what context even the people gathered in this room listening to this have with the Jew, but may there be hope to say, look look in the passage, look in Scripture. You're not rejected. You're not done with. There's deliverance for all who look to Christ. So I pray for the people as a whole that they would look to you. Pray for their salvation, their fellow parts of this tree, this olive tree. And then, Lord, keep us from conceit, keep us from pride, and may we rest on the grace that is given us by you alone. It is by your grace we are here to worship today. And it's by your grace we'll wake up in the morning. And by your grace, we will dwell with you forever, having been saved and washed as any child of God is saved and washed by the blood of the Lamb. We pray that all in this room would be looking to you, Lord Jesus, with humility and thankfulness. In your name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.